Well, please join me in opening up the Bible this morning to the letter of Ephesians. It's on page 978, if you've got a church Bible. And we're in chapter 4 again this morning, but we're in the second half from verses 17 to the end of the chapter 32. Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that may it give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray together. Father God, we ask you for your help this morning. Help us, we pray, to listen. Help us to hear what you've got to say to each one of us, but also as a, as a church family. We pray that you would be present amongst us, that you would work in us by your Spirit. We pray that we would be excited, full of desire to put on the new self this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in our, our passage this morning, Paul is talking about change, the radical change, the total transformation that God works through the gospel. And change can be quite a tricky subject because for one person it represents something that's amazing, but for another person it brings up feelings of pain and heartache, 
Christian or not, we all battle with change, change that we long for, that we pray to happen, but we're left disappointed. But there's also things that we wish had never changed. But the Bible teaches us about a very particular kind of change, God's transformation of a world that has been corrupted by sin. And when we understand that change, the corruption of creation, we begin to understand and value the transformation that God works through the gospel. Consider what life was like outside of the Garden of Eden when Cain so coldly and brutally murdered his own brother. God asked Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain was so spiritually dead inside, in a condition of what we call total depravity, that he dared to lie to God. And he said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? The Bible teaches us that we need to think about God's transforming work within this bigger picture of transforming his whole creation The story of God redeeming us from the chains and corruption of sin. And it's in this context that Paul tells us to put off the old self and put on the new self. The new self is one that has been freed from those chains, those chains that once kept us as slaves to sin. It's in this context that we can rejoice and wonder and praise Praise God for transforming us in a way that we can be kind to one another. I wonder if you noticed that in verse 32. That's been my my constant prayer throughout the week as I've studied this passage. Help me, Lord, to be kind. Well, this morning we'll, we'll take this passage in two parts. And firstly, from 17 to 24, we're going to try and get a portrait of both the old self and the new self. And the aim here is to develop our desire to put on the new self. Then the second part, 25 to 32, we'll start to explore what it means to walk in the new self. And this is something we'll, we'll keep thinking about as we continue through Ephesians. And we'll see the new self is so selfless, so selfless, it's more like the life of a servant. Okay, so point one Why does Paul need to remind us to put off the old self? It's been a helpful question for me as I've been working on this passage. Why does he need to tell us to put off the old self? Well, if you look at verses 22 to 24, these are clearly the the key verses uh, of of the passage. Paul says that the uh, teaching and the way of Jesus is this, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a big difference between the old self and the new self. 
deceitful desires, deception is real, compared with this new, renewed mind, this new self. And because we're told the old self is corrupt with deceitful desires, before we go any further, I think we need to search our hearts and ask ourselves, do we really believe that? Have I come to Jesus to be saved from the sinful desires that corrupt myself and my soul? And this is the problem people have with Bible-believing Christians. It's much easier to be part of a community that is really into transformation, but avoids this disturbing reality of needing to be saved and delivered from the chains of sin. In 2005, the writer David Foster Wallace gave a, a graduation speech that starts like this. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other one and goes, What's water? And the idea is that the most important aspects of reality are the hardest to see and the hardest to talk about. Facing the reality of life without God, outside of Christ, it is the most important, but the hardest reality to see and talk about. But if you look at verses 17, 18, and 19, Paul gives us this reality. He's saying to the Ephesians, they must no longer walk as non-Christians, and this is how non-Christians walk, verse 17, in the futility of their minds. Futility, it's a, a fascinating subject in the Bible. It's about the meaningless existence people face if everything is turning to nothing and ultimately going nowhere. Something that when I was a, an atheist, as I, as I, was, I was, I was happy to admit that it is meaningless, but we just have to wrestle with it. We go on to verse 18 and 19. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Walking through life with a mind imprisoned by meaningless existence, trapped in darkness, prevented from life with God, the heart spiritually cold and hardened, lost in the muddy ground of desire. What are we without Christ? The Westminster Confession tells us we are wholly defiled in all parts and faculties of soul and body. We need God to transform our mind, body, and soul. Now, you might think if this were true, everyone would be awful. But my, my friends, John and Jenny, they're, they're non-Christians, but they've never murdered anyone. But you don't break free from the chains of sin just by not murdering your brother. 
We love our non-Christian friends, John and Jenny. They are nice people. They're, they're really friendly. But outside of Christ, they remain children of Adam. They do not live with the Holy Spirit in them, but walk in prison by the sin of Adam, the sin of Cain. And here's the thing. The devil loves John and Jenny. They are his good and faithful servants. He doesn't mind if they're a bit friendly and do the odd good, good deed. You know who he hates? Anyone who Christ has stolen from him. When we put off the old self, we display the victory of Christ. When we put on the new self, we anger our new enemy. A new self, a new life, a new enemy. It's a new challenge and a battle to keep spiritually strong, to remain steadfast, walking as the followers of Christ. This is why we need reminding to put off the old self. But what about putting on the new self? If we're already a Christian in the new self, why do we need to keep putting it on? Well, Paul is writing in a way that means it's done, but you also grow into it. I've heard this illustrated with how it is when you get married. So you say the vows, you exchange rings, it's done. But then it takes a long time to become a husband or a wife. It's, it's not that you're not one. Once you're married, you're married. But you grow into your new self as a husband or a wife. And that's what happens with our new self. It's done, but we grow into it. If you notice verse 23, how as we resist deceitful desires, we also, in a, a more positive sense, we grow in our mindset. Verse 23, renewed in the spirit of your mind, says Paul. Something that Jen and, uh, John and Jenny don't have is this mindset or character that faces insults and yet responds with respect. To be wronged and yet to forgive. To live in poverty and yet feel and know that they are rich. To be hated and yet to be kind. To show compassion to the criminal to welcome the unwanted, to value the weak, to love the unloving. And they also don't have the reason. Why would anyone live in a way that goes against all of our instincts? Let's look down at verse 24. Paul says, The new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What does this mean? Well, the new self is actually about becoming more human. Becoming more human. This is the surprising thing about the transformation of, of a Christian. It's about becoming who we were created to be. Being what humans were always meant to be. God made man in his image. We learn that immediately in the Bible. We were, we were created to reflect something of who God is, an image of God. God is righteous and holy. 
as Paul says in verse 24. And so that means that a human character, a personality, a, a purpose, a role, a morality, creativity, responsibility, all these things must reflect the qualities of righteousness and holiness. But at the fall, it wasn't just Adam and Eve who fell from this image, but everyone who would be born from them. And so each of us were born with this fallen image. But when we accept the gospel, when we come to Christ, when we put on the new self, it's about God restoring us to this image. And as Christ is the perfect image of God, we put on Christ. Our self is being made more like Christ. This is what it means to put on the new self. It means living in Christ and becoming more like Christ. The portrait of our, our new self is the Christ we read about in the Bible, the Christ we pray to, the Christ who intercedes for us, the Christ we wait to return, the Christ we spend forever with. And Paul's encouragement is to not just know this in theory, to have this portrait simply hanging up on our wall, but instead we must live it, live in Christ, live with Christ. Our chains have gone and we have been made free, and so now we walk in the new self. And so part two of our passage, 25 to 32, we begin to think about what it means to walk as the new self, the new self that lives in Christ, in righteousness and holiness. We're going to work through each verse, but I invite you, when there's more time, to really pause and reflect on each one of them. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're all living members of Christ's body. Do you remember that? We talked about that last week. So if we lie to one another, we essentially lie to ourselves. Just as we wouldn't want the truth hidden from us, we must not hide the truth from others. We talked about how important speaking the truth to each other was, how it actually works to our maturity as, as, a, as a family. Look at verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. At times, we will be angry. That's normal. But don't sin in your anger. Don't go to bed angry. Best advice ever. When there is conflict... When conflict creates anger in us, we must respond in a Christ-like way. We shouldn't be afraid of conflict. We must face it. But we must respond swiftly and work to resolve it. If we back down from conflict, if we mishandle it, there is a spiritual danger. The devil loves it. It's a perfect opportunity for him. I've been reading a, a book uh, written by Don Carson about his dad, the ordinary pastor. And he tells this story about his, how his dad was treated really, really horribly by someone. 
But John Carson only found out many, many years later from someone else. And he asked his dad, why did you never tell us? And his dad said two reasons. Firstly, we didn't think it wise to expose you to this, uh, this situation when you were young. And secondly, Marge and I, which, which, which his, uh, was his wife, we decided we needed to protect our own souls from bitterness. So we took a vow that n- uh, neither of us would ever say an unkind thing about that guy, and we have kept our vow. Isn't that amazing? He and his wife had every reason to be angry, and I'm sure they were, but they did everything they could to give no opportunity to the devil. They took seriously the the care of their own souls and of others. Verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I think this is saying that if we don't give people opportunity to live as their new self, by treating them as their new self, as members of our own body, people who have a life that has been transformed by Christ, and they now want to live like Christ, if we prevent that from happening, then are we not going to push them away and force them to return to their old self? So many stories you, you, you hear of of people who have uh, gone to, to prison for, for murder and yet become a Christian. They are now members of, of my body, your body. We must treat them like that. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Last week, we learned that we build up the body in love by speaking the truth in love. And verse 29 tells us that every word that comes out of our mouth should come from love so that it builds up the body. Even, perhaps especially so, the smallest comment. Jesus said, what you say flows from what is in your heart. So let's make sure our speech is always pouring forth from that love of Christ within us. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Lying, anger, sin, carelessly pushing people into their old self, speaking recklessly without love, this grieves the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a person. We know that. And Paul addresses him this way by saying he grieves. How does God find it when we try and force ourselves out from his grace? When we live recklessly in ways that are unlike Christ? How does God feel when we try and fall from our image? The Spirit has sealed us in God's love. Well, let's not respond by making him grieve by our disobedience. 
Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Part of being a redeemed person, but living in a fallen world, means we're still in the process of being made new. It's a process. But that process involves our deliberate daily putting off of the old self, battling against deceitful desires, dealing with emotions that are born of hate, and instead daily putting on the new self, dressing ourselves in righteousness and holiness. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ in God forgave you. What a perfect way to summarize the whole thing. The grace of being delivered to a new self, of being transformed into the likeness of God by becoming more like Christ, by taking the, the serious care of your, your soul and others, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as, as God in Christ forgave you. What did it require for Christ to forgive you? That's something to think about. Not in guilt, but in appreciation. One thing required was for Christ to become a servant. And a servant is the person that we're becoming like. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above ourselves. The new self is selfless. Walking as the new self is about selfless living. Isn't it amazing how 20, verses 25 to 32 are so outward-looking? And the whole chapter has been about outward-looking, how we treat one another, bearing one another in love, united by the Spirit, and so in unity we must live with one another, speaking the truth to each other growing in maturity together, putting away bitterness and anger, and instead being kind to one another and forgiving one another. It takes less than three seconds, I think, to say, put on the new self. But for every second of every day, it will always be good for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Put on the new self is a morning prayer. Did I wear the new self today is an evening prayer. In Christ, we are made alive. We are made new. So let's put on the new self, these clothes of righteousness and holiness. There will be a daily temptation to do the opposite, times when the Lord feels distant, when we face a spiritual battle, when transformation seems impossible, when life seems terribly ordinary and dull, or when life just feels terrible, when sin weighs heavy, 
But let me give you the words from the hymn we're about to sing. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No one has chains that are so heavy that Christ can't set them free. By the power of the cross, he has done so. And in God's grace, by the power of the Spirit, we follow Christ and we put on and we walk in our new self. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have set us free from those chains of sin. We thank you that you have given us your Spirit to dwell in us. We thank you that in Christ we can be clothed in righteousness and holiness. We thank you that you are kind, that you have forgiven us. And we thank you that you don't just leave it there, Lord, but that you want us to grow, grow into the likeness of Christ, into your image. We pray that we would, Lord. We pray that we would grow in your image this morning and throughout the week. We pray that we, you would remind us, that you would remind us to put on the new self. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.